Whitcomb Ministries presents Encounter God's Truth with author and Bible teacher Dr. John Whitcomb. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and we're in the midst of a brand new series called Basic Biblical Distinctions. These presentations were first given at a conference at Grace Bible Church in Elkhart, Indiana, and we thank them for their cooperation in allowing us to broadcast them. We're listening today to the second of four parts of a message called The Conversion of an Evolutionist. It's a personal and practical look at what God has done in the life of our speaker over many decades and what he's learned from that experience that we can apply to our attempts at evangelism and upholding the biblical defense of the faith. If this program whets your appetite for more on this topic, you'll find years' worth of sermons, lectures, articles, and radio programs on this and many other subjects at sermonaudio.com slash Right now, let's proceed to listen to Dr. Whitcomb as he shares more with the congregation assembled to hear about the conversion of an evolutionist. We begin with a short review from last time. That's how Jesus created the world. Guess what? I have lost no sleep ever again about giraffes. Thank you. (laughs) So, uh, the theory of evolution, folks, that's it. Can it explain what, what has been observed? Can it predict what has not yet been observed? Can it be tested by further examination and modified as required by the acquisition of new data? Can it be subjected to a test of false? The theory of evolution on all counts is a complete colossal failure. If I were an evolutionist, I would surrender unconditionally immediately and look for a good Bible preaching church. It is a total disaster. And 45 million of our children in America are being taught evolution Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday in every textbook that teaches how the world began. Not one exception in America, in a public school. Which means, friends, that wherever you send your children to school, public school, Christian school, whatever, you must primarily, ultimately, train them at home in the word of God. All Christian parents must be homeschoolers to some extent or other. Right. Thank you, God. Thank you. Now, how do we help people then? Here, the Apostle Peter, folks, was no great scholar, was he? Was he a scientist? No. Philosopher? No. He was just a what? A fisherman. He knew nothing about all these things, but one thing he did know from meeting Jesus is that if you're going to help somebody that attacks you and ridicules you and opposes you, uh, start off with two things. One, don't fear. Two, don't be troubled. You you don't have to answer every observation he has, every question he has, every objection he has. You don't have to know all these things. You don't have to be a scientist, philosopher. He's got a deeper problem. And here's how you can help him. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, I can't handle this man. I can't change his thinking. I'm not smarter than he is. And even if I were, it wouldn't help. Help me to do the right thing if I love him enough. Maybe my father, my mother, my brother, sister, neighbors, friends that need the Lord, people I work with. Help me to do the right thing the right way for your glory. And I know that you will guarantee that if anything happens, it'll be because it's done the right way. The right way. Now, you say, what's that word sanctify mean anyhow? It means to set something apart for God. Now, Israel had been taught for 1,400 years how to sanctify things. You sanctify certain animals like a lamb, a goat, see, 
for a bull, for a sacrifice. You, you, you sanctify a certain place like the tabernacle or temple to worship God. You sanctify certain people called priests, sons of Aaron, to function in the tabernacle and temple. You sanctify a certain day of the week, a Sabbath, to worship God officially and do things and don't do things. See, But Christians don't have any of those things. See, we don't have a legally enforced Sabbath where if you do certain things, you'll drop dead. No, that's over. We don't have a special priesthood, special animals, special place. That's all. That's Israel. As we saw last night, by the way, Israel will be honored again in the beginning of the kingdom. But we're not Israelis today. Okay, we're what Christians. And the only thing we have to sanctify is Christ the Lord. We set him apart. He's above anyone else in the universe that's called human. He's the God-man. Honor him. Think of him. Consult with him. Talk to him. Serve him. Honor him. Sanctify Christ as Lord. So, in other words, the way you handle him is going to ultimately determine what happens to the person who attacks you, questions you, ridicules you. Okay, here we go. You ready? Now you're ready to make your defense. You're, you're, you're not afraid. You're not troubled. You've sanctified Christ. You say, Christ, Lord Jesus, help me now. I want to say the right thing to help this person. Now I'm ready to make a defense. And you know what the Greek word for defense here is? Apologion. To give a word back. To give an answer. How to help people by giving the right answers that they need to bring them into eternal life. But the way you do it, not only what you say, who Christ is, what he did on the cross, his resurrection. See, by the way, fill your pockets with gospel tracts. So that every restaurant, every store you go to, they'll hear about Jesus, maybe a gospel of John, maybe I saw some beautiful tracks you have here promote, uh, with your, about your own church here, uh, how to find a friendly church. Uh, that's one of the, the whole area would be revolutionized if every member of this church, now hear it careful, if every member of this church could hand out prayerfully a gospel tract just one a week. This part of the world would never be the same again. You say, I can do that? Oh, yeah, you can. <laughs> Each one. If you don't think you can, let's talk afterwards. Lord, help me to be a light reflector. I'm no, I'm no light. I'm a light reflector. I'm sanctifying not me, but Christ. But the way I do it, now watch. Not only what I say, but the way I do it. Now watch this. Oh, I have to do it gently. I can't be arrogant and pushy, manipulative. See, I got to be gentle with people. Oh, I have to be what? Reverend. I have to honor God, not me. I'm not promoting me. But be careful now. I'm not even promoting my church. I'm promoting Christ the Lord. Okay, ready? Here's a big one. Are you ready for this one? Uh-oh. I have to have a good conscience. I have to have a good reputation. If I'm notorious in the community as having been a thief, a robber, or something else, I'm not going to get very far. By the way, did you know the difference between this and just plain rational arguments or playing a game of chess? If you're a chess master, it doesn't make any difference how gentle you are, how reverent you are, or whether you're a wicked, evil person or not. It's who gets the other guy's king and he's dead. But when you tell people about Jesus... These things are what? Evidences that the Holy Spirit has changed your life. And you're different. There's something different about you. People say, tell me your secret. 
you don't act, talk the way some of my friends do. How did you get to be the way you are? Be what? Attractive, loving, gracious, patient with people. And that's how the Holy Spirit brings conviction. Okay? We'll talk more about that, God willing, tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, God willing. Here's the problem. Here's the big one, folks. The natural man, you know who that is, don't you? That's an unsaved person. He can be brilliant. He can be a professor. He can be a, even a professor in some theological seminary. See? Catholic, liberal, cultic, something or other. Very dignified, very educated, PhD degree and all. But he's unregenerate. Natural man. Now watch him. You ready? But the, a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are what? Foolishness to him. He may not say so openly, but he thinks in his life. You can't be out, you're out of your mind. I can tell you that. I'm just, I'll be polite, just keep quiet. But in my mind, you are absolutely foolish to believe what? That my eternal destiny hangs upon the identity and activity of a man who was crucified in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. You can't be serious. My destiny is determined by what he did. Watch that one. I mean, that's what, for 18 years, that was my thinking. And my father, my, my grandfather was a militant atheist, in fact. I mean, that makes sense. That, that's reasonable. That my eternal destiny cannot be determined by what some guy did on a cross 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. That's silly, isn't it? Until the Spirit of God illuminates the mind and heart. Now watch. He cannot understand them. By the way, I've spent years looking at that verse. You know what I finally decided that means? I, I decided it means he cannot understand them. <laughs> cannot, 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 cannot. God said, did you hear me? One more. He cannot. Don't try it. Don't push. Don't get pushy, manipulative. Don't, don't do any psycho stuff. Come on now. You need supernatural help to see people converted. And God gets the glory, not you, not I. Why can't he understand them? Because they are spiritually appraised. Oh, the Holy Spirit has to bring the illuminating work, convicting work. The Holy Spirit has to create a new life. Yes, and he will be honored, not I. Thank you, God. Thank you. Okay. Here's the problem analyzed. Okay. We just saw this one, didn't we? 1 Corinthians 2.14. But, but wait a minute. How about Romans 8.7? That uh, the mind of the flesh is at enmity with God. We can't, we can't ever find God in ourselves. No. Because the Bible says 3,000 years ago in Psalm 14 that God looked down upon the children of men to see if there were any that believed. No not one. Not one in his own heart, apart from God's merciful intervention. As we are in ourselves, we don't want him in our lives. We want him out of our lives. We don't want his control, his influence at all. The natural man. Okay. Romans 5, 8. While we were enemies, Christ died. He didn't die for us because we were so nice. We hated him. You say, I didn't hate him. Well, someday God will show us a few things about what our heart was like, see, apart from him. And if that weren't bad enough, 
we have an invisible enemy that helps people to reject God. Now, let me be careful here. Satan can't make anybody disbelieve, reject the truth. He helps people who want his help to express outwardly their unbelief, their rejection of God. He is the greatest enemy of human beings. But remember now, he can't do anything you don't want him to do. Uh, in fact, we, we, James says, if you humble yourselves beneath the mighty hand of God, you can rebuke the devil and he will what? He'll flee from you. He is a helpless creature if you just bow your knee before God and ask for help. Because there's no temptation that's ever taken you or me, but such as is common to man, but God is able even through the temptation to make a way of escape that we may be able to bear it. Satan can't make anybody sin. But my, if you're open to his help and hate God, he'll do amazing things to help you to be what? Expressive, vocal, influential, powerful, vicious, deadly. And friends, there, I hate to say this, you know it. In the last hundred years, Satan has found instruments in the human race to destroy tens and scores of millions of people. I was a soldier in the Second World War in Germany. And we were fighting a man whose name was Adolf what? Hitler. We'll never, we'll never fathom how awful the man was. He killed not only six million Jews, but millions of others. Are you ready for this one? Joseph Stalin of Russia was worse. Killed more than Hitler did. Maybe 20 million of his people. Deliberately. Okay. Wait till you hear this one. Mao Zedong of China killed more than Stalin did. 30 or 40 million people. And Satan has tromped all over this world, finding instruments he can use like those and others to wipe out tens and scores of millions of people. They could not have done that without Satan's help. Satan has a definite priority program. Wipe out every human he can find. If he can't kill them, he'll distort them, corrupt them. You know what, friends? He's powerful. He's powerful. Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, against mere humans, but against principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this age. And not only Satan, friends, the greatest creature in the universe in power. He's number one, Satan. Okay, that's Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14. He said to Jesus, you remember 2,000 years ago, if you just bow to me, sir, I'll give you what? All the kingdoms of the world. And he had them. They were his. Adam gave them to him. Jesus didn't say you don't have them. He said you, you do. You are the God of this world. You are. And I say, Lord, help us. I need help. I need help. Oh, wait a minute. Second, if our gospel be hidden from 2 Corinthians 4, it is hidden to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of Christ, the image of God, should shine unto them. You say, that's not fair. Every time we preach the gospel, Satan comes along and takes it out, removes it. He blinds people so they can't see it. That's very mysterious. The interaction between God and Satan to determine the destiny of every human. And I say, Lord, this is beyond me. I know that you do what's right. Every time you deal with Satan, 
Now remember what happened over 4,500 years ago. Satan came one day to God and reported on what he was doing around the world. And he said to God, excuse me, God said to Satan, have you seen my servant Job? There's a man who loves me. See him? And Satan said what? Oh, yes, I've seen him. If you hadn't put a hedge around him and prospered him, he would what? Curse you to your face. That's what he would. He's just serving you for what he can get out of you. That's what worship is, sir. People don't love you at all. And I could hardly believe what God said to Satan next. What did he say to him? Go ahead. Destroy him. Watch him. Kill all his his flocks and herds. Kill all his children. Destroy his body one inch from death. It was so bad that his wife said to him, what? Curse God and die. Then the worst thing of all happened. Satan brought three friends to see him. And you know what they said? Day after day after day for weeks. Sir, we're doing everything we can to convince you that you are a wicked man and you need to confess how awful you are because God would never treat a good man the way he's treating you. They lied. Based on what? Ignorance of God's ways. And finally, finally at the end of the book, God wins and Satan loses. Job almost surrendered his faith in God, but not quite. And at the end of the book, God wins. But where was Satan? Why doesn't the book end and say, Satan, why didn't Satan say, I was wrong. I'm so sorry. I'm convicted. (laughs) He's never mentioned. Why not? He never changes. He is incorrigible. Wow. He's our enemy. You can't convert him. See, you can't change him, folks. But 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 what what's the what's our answer? That sin problem in man, the Satan problem in the world. There's only one answer. The word of God. That's it. Not my brilliance. But God's word. And I say, Lord, I, I'm tell me about it. Tell me about it. Are you ready for this one? This is powerful, folks. Hebrews 412. The word of God is living. Powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing center of soul and spirit, joined in marrow as a discerner of the thoughts and tents of the heart. Neither is there any man that's not naked and open before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. God says, watch me. I have a special weapon to handle Satan and sinners. This book right here. This is the only book God ever wrote. This one. Wow. It's powerful. God says, just, just, just use my word. I mean, spend less time watching TV and stuff. Just open the book once in a while. And let the Spirit of God, who authored this book over 2,000 years through 40 writers that were perfected by God's Holy Spirit from any error, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for teaching. Thank you, God. Thank you. We have an instrument to win. Master the Bible. There we go, folks. Timothy, Paul said to his favorite disciple, preach the, preach what? The word. Don't preach contemporary events, international affairs, no, psychological problems, issues, economy, no, that's all important, that's all significant, but 
When all else fails, preach the word, the Bible. That's rare today, folks, among preachers. I mean, it's serious. Because that takes some work. And I'm here to confess to you this morning, I have taught the Bible for 60 years, since 1951. I still have a long way to go to master this book. Long way. And I say, Lord, help me to say the right thing the right way and to say what you said in a way that can be understood by people. Because only your word can change lives. Only your word can do it. Yes. If God, see, the servant of the Lord must be gentle to all men, capable of teaching, if God peradventure might grant repentance to the acknowledging of the truth and they may be recovered from the snare of the devil who were taken captive by his will, preach the word gently, lovingly, graciously, patiently to people day after day, day after day, day after day. Preach the word. Preach the word. Help people to come out of Satan's power system. And so, you know, if we do that, then Paul says, everywhere I go, I'm a, I'm a fragrance of life unto life and death unto death. As I, as I hand out a tractor, do something to say to, to people that they need the Lord. Uh, the smile on my face, a, a gesture of friendship, uh, a patient attitude, uh, especially that they get something that tells them about the Lord. Uh, I'll, never, I'll never be forgotten. That, God will take care of that part. You don't have to be arrogant or pushy or brilliant. You just be what? Biblical, God-honoring, gracious, patient with people. You'll never be forgotten. That's what he said. Now, we, by the way, we also have Chinese gospel tracts. We had a few here, I think, a year ago on, a, on the book table for you. Uh, when you go to a Chinese restaurant, and I, I, was, I should explain, I'm interested in China. That's where I was raised. When I came back from China 80 years ago, I was speaking fluent Mandarin. 800 million people speak that language. It's because I had an ama, a nurse, that when I was in China as a boy, ages three, four, five, and six, my parents had a, a, a Chinese nurse to take care of me, watch over me, and teach me. So I, I have China on my heart, you see. And so uh, when I go to a Chinese restaurant and hand out a tract, and a Chinese tract, Chinese and English, uh, I try to say something uh, nice in Mandarin. Heren hao. Heren hao. Very good. Thank you. Xie xie. Thank you. They, they appreciate your effort to, uh, you know, say something that's uh, honoring to their culture, their nation. Their, I mean, and I say, that, by the way, do you know what God has done? Even though you can't go to China as a missionary now. He has brought 100,000 Chinese students to our colleges and universities. 100,000. He says, get them. So many Chinese restaurants in Indianapolis are sick and tired of seeing John Whitcomb come in with Chinese gospel tracts. Well, last year, we've been there for, we've been there for 10 years now in Indianapolis, living near our children who live there. Uh, last year, I was invited to speak at a church in Ohio. And the pastor, you know, at my suggestion, took us to a Chinese restaurant. I gave a Chinese gospel tract to the waitress. She said, sir, you gave me that when I was in Indianapolis. <laughs> so, praise the Lord. We want to get the message out, see? A, an aroma, a fragrance. 
I mean, she could have, oh, she could have said, you, you, you smell f- familiar to me. <laughs> you smell like a Christian. <laughs> Praise the Lord. The only problem with that is if you do that prayerfully, consistently throughout the greater Elkhart area, your church pastor will soon be overrun by Chinese people. Look out. <laughs> They'll want to hear more about a God that does things like that through you. They really will. And I say, thank you, God. Thank you. That was Dr. John Whitcomb telling us the story of his own conversion to the Christian faith and showing how the lessons that he's learned since can be applied to our lives today. Dr. Whitcomb has reminded us today that this world is hostile to the God of the Bible, yet God's word remains true from the beginning to the end. As Dr. Whitcomb stated, finally, at the end of the book, God wins and Satan loses. That's the passion that drives us to continue this radio outreach called Encounter God's Truth. You can learn more about it at WhitcombMinistries.org and stay up to date with our latest news at Facebook.com slash Ministries. I'm Wayne Shepherd, closing our program today with a reading from the 89th Psalm. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord, a God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones, and awesome above all who are around him? O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. You rule the raging sea while its waves rise. You still them. You crush Rahab like a carcass. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. 